0: Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners a technique that is easily learnt and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynephimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Femister.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the 21st Century Pain Solution Show. Today, my very special guest is Mark Pugh. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So Mark has a little bit of a background. He's an advisory board member at the Bio-Nutraceutical Health Solutions, and he's a passionate educator and agitator. And he's involved with lots of of different activities is the award-winning speaker and blogger, author, and advisor. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Mark. You're a Rx professor online, I see. Tell
2: us a little bit about that. Well, thanks, Wayne. And I appreciate the gesticulations with the agitator. You you really kind of underscored that point there. I'm an IT guy by training, but when people hear me speak or read my writings, they assume kind of I'm a pharmacist or a clinician. Behavioral psychologist, claims adjuster, attorney, you can name it. And a lot of that has just come from osmosis by hanging around really smart people and reading a lot. And so I got engaged in the overprescribing of opioids back in 2003 uh, in workers' compensation here in the United States. And it was the 2003 was the very beginning of it. There weren't a lot of people in workers' compensation, certainly not in the mainstream media or anybody else that was really paying much attention to it. But I noticed it was an issue, and back to my IT background, I like to look for issues and put on that business analysis kind of hat and try to figure out root cause. And I kept looking and seeing all these opioids being prescribed, but it wasn't just the opioids. It was the benzodiazepines in conjunction with it. It was the soma and the carisoprodol that created the Vegas cocktail. It was all the different things, the stool softeners, everything that went around with it. And so I've been talking about it, writing about it, enacting products, and services. I've actually, a lot of the stuff that I created in my career has helped hundreds of people in uh, weaning off of drug regimens that were inappropriate, uh, as well as creating epiphanies for treating physicians. From that time period, I evolved as I became more aware of the different treatment options and became a real big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy and psychotherapy and the concept of neuroplasticity and how important the brain is in order to interpreting the pain signal and doing something better with it than just pretending like your life is over because you've got chronic pain. And I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm from south of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm kind of a simple guy. And the way I define chronic pain is the pain with you wake up with every morning, you go to sleep with every night, and it doesn't go away until you die. And there's a variety of impacts that has from depression, from anxiety, from isolation, Know, all sorts of different things that impacts the brain and so I became a real big fan of psychotherapy and how to engage the brain and empower that and then I started thinking about stuff that doesn't require anybody whatsoever so eating well eating if you have inflammation as a part of the source of your chronic pain having an anti-inflammatory diet makes a lot of sense motion is lotion so getting out and exercising 10,000 steps is a made-up number but it's still very strategic getting a a proper amount of sleep, proper hydration. There's just so many things that we can do for ourselves um, without requiring anybody to do something to us or for us that I think that we lose sight of. And then I started looking at and talking and researching about medical marijuana back in 2014. Now, I've had this history of being on the front end of a lot of the recognizing these things. Again, in 2003, opioids weren't paying much attention. In 2010, 11, when I first started talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, that was a foreign concept to most everybody in the workers' compensation industry. And then medical marijuana, nobody was talking about. Now, everybody and his brothers got his dad jokes and you know, did you bring samples to the presentation, all that kind of stuff. But back in 2014, nobody was talking about it. Nobody thought that it was potentially impactful, but I have a firm belief that the legality of not just medical, but recreational marijuana would never have happened if we weren't killing 50, 60, 70,000 people every year from the opioid epidemic. And that has normalized marijuana and certainly opened up the door for the full plant, for CBD, You know, Epidiolex was approved by the FDA. So we got in the United States, we got the DEA, who still says that marijuana is Schedule I and illegal. But on the other side, their brethren in the FDA looked at the evidence from a natural extract of cannabidiol from hemp and agreed that it has medicinal purposes for the treatment of seizures. And so even our own government doesn't agree amongst themselves as to whether marijuana is medicinal or not. So ultimately, to kind of put a bow on it, again, I'm not a clinician, but I've hung out with a lot of really smart people, I've broken bread with behavioral psychologists, physicians, physical therapists, nurses, all over the board. And I've read a lot of treatment guidelines, a letter of research, I'm an avid reader of PubMed, just anything I can grab my hands on. And I'm a firm believer that there is no single solution for the treatment of chronic pain. It is an individualized, customized treatment. And so in order to help someone manage their pain as opposed to their pain managing them, we've got to have a full tool belt of everything that we can think of that's evidence-based or even just anecdotal um, in order to figure out what combination of things will work. But I truly believe that we should start with what we can do ourselves. You know, diabetic medication, hypertension medication is really, really important. But if you haven't lost 40 pounds, if you're not exercising, if you're not eating right, those medications are really just a placebo. You can do a lot better by just doing good stuff for yourself. I'm a kind of all of the above kind of person. And when you look at my LinkedIn posts and what I write and what I talk about, you might think I'm schizophrenic because I'm talking about a lot of different things, but there's a passion and a purpose for that because I don't think there's a single answer. I think we need to be entertaining every possible option for people in chronic pain.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. Wonderful synopsis. You've been at this game for, you know, 20 years or so now, at least. And uh, I really commend you for your commitment and passion and really helping us move forward as a society, you know, towards these very simple things that you know, and I know, because we see it on a daily basis with people we interact with, that really do work for chronic pain. Now, let's go back a little bit, because you mentioned something about the neuroplasticity. Now, some of our audience won't know what that is. So can you just describe neuroplasticity and really what is the chronic pain state doing to the brain in the first place that we need this neuroplasticity in order to get where we're going?
2: Well, you can correct me where I'm wrong. So it's your clinician and I'm not. <laughs> but neuroplasticity from a non-clinical standpoint to me is that the brain is constantly changing. It's constantly rewiring. Um, that's how we create habits and different areas of the brain store different things. And the longer we do stuff, the more it becomes ingrained as a part of behavior, as a part of our interpretations. And so neuroplasticity, if you're in pain long enough, you have trained your brain, you literally have biologically rewired your brain to expect that pain, to have a specific interpretation of that pain and a response to that pain. So that's the bad part, right? We can train our brain into thinking that pain is normal and this is the way my life is always going to be and this is how I'm going to respond. But the beauty of neuroplasticity is you can change it. So just because of where and how your brain is wired right now doesn't mean that that's how it's going to be wired for the next two hours or two days or two weeks or two years. You can change by changing your habits, by changing behaviors, by changing your attitudes, and so helping engage in neuroplasticity, which is a biological function, it's not theoretical. It's something that happens. The brain is constantly changing, but we can direct and help the neuroplasticity be more towards positive approaches to things and get rid of the negativity, get rid of the things that go on with that. So tell me how close I was to it from a clinical standpoint.
1: No, I think you, you described it well. You used lots of metaphors and building up a picture and, you know, the same type of words that I would use, like rewiring your brain, you know, it's like an electricity in the house is just firing off, you know, you put on the washing machine and the light comes on in the next room. It's just, it's not meant to be working in that way. But when we do rewire it, when we do these activities you've mentioned, then you put on the light switch and the correct light switch comes on. Mm-hmm. So it is a rewiring, reprogramming event. And it's very real for people and I think the first thing is they just need to start believing it that, oh my goodness, this is possible. I've got one client right now I have online and she's got small fiber neuropathy and she's been with me really for three months online as a client and also for six months previous to that. And our pain is gone. Like it can come back, yes, from different activities, but essentially it's gone from a everyday experience. And and that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony to this word of neuroplasticity and, It is real and just, and it's within reach. You know, you just, you do need to believe in it, I think. I think that's important, but I think more importantly is just get on and do the activities
2: that literally change it. Exactly, and I think, you know, neuroplasticity really explains the concept of placebo. Placebo is so important, nocebo um, is kind of the opposite of that, but placebo is that, you know, you can do stuff and things happen, Because you think it and we go, okay, that's just hooey. We can't just think things into existence. But in reality, when clinical studies are done, I remember reading a study probably four or five years ago. And it was a study placebo. And what they did is they had several patients that had meniscal tears. And for some of the patients, they actually did the surgery, opened them up, um, repaired the meniscal tear, Another, you probably remember this, and there was another group that all they did was make an incision and put the bandage as though they did it, but they didn't actually do the surgery. And what they found is that there were a number of patients that had zero surgery, and it may have been the PT before and the PT after in preparation for the surgery, so that was probably a part of it, but a big part of it was the placebo. They looked at it and go, and they woke up from anesthesia, they looked down, there was a scar, there was a bandage, and go, I had surgery, and their brain kind of convinced them that they had surgery, and it was okay. So the concept of placebo and neuroplasticity, I think, go hand in hand because they answer each other's questions.
1: So true, and I think we'll just highlight this point because placebo is seen as a negative thing in the world of medicine. You know, we're looking for these treatments to be helpful for patients, but the reality is there's 30%, probably even up to 50% placebo that goes Mm -hmm. in to any type of treatment. You could be taking a Tylenol or a sugar pill or a surgery, as you mentioned, meniscal, which is just a tear in the cartilage in your knee, and it has up to 50% benefit. It's like, well, of course we should be using placebo. Right, exactly. And in the old golden old days, like you went to your doctor, had to sit down and chit chat the days before, like many of the medications that are out now. And the therapeutic benefit of just talking to the
2: doctor Mm -hmm. is ultimately making you feel better, you know? And that's absolutely placebo, right? That eye to eye contact, you know, I've heard of a, a number of physician and clinician friends of mine. That really look back in positivity in the way that doctors used to be able to touch patients, literally touch them on the hand, you know, literally touch them on the shoulder, eye to eye contact, and so much of healthcare now is digitization. And I completely understand EMRs and getting information. I'm a firm believer that e-prescribing is a huge benefit because it removes legibility issue, it removes potential fraudulent use. But oftentimes when you're so focused on taking notes, so focused on doing things, that the doctor oftentimes is looking more at the tablet than they are at the patient. And I think that person-to-person contact, to your point, having that rapport and telling them, looking at them face-to-face and go, you can do this. You know, that's a powerful statement of just looking at them, having an empathy and saying, you can do this. And there's a number of people that respond to that and go, yes, I can. And they would not respond, yes, I can, if they didn't have anybody that would take the time to develop that report. So that is mixed into all of this, too, the depersonalization of healthcare. certainly the physician extenders, where the MD or the DO isn't actually the one seeing the patients, the nurse practitioner or the PA. So we think PA assistant is like, you know, PAs are very, very good at what they do, obviously. Nurse practitioners are very good at what they do. But in some people, they go, unless I see the MD... And he literally or she literally had their hand on the doorknob the entire time they were talking to me because I knew they only had 15 seconds to spare because they needed to get to the next widget. So that depersonalization has really made life a lot difficult, especially for people in chronic pain that are suffering way beyond the pain. They're suffering depression. They're suffering anxiety. um, They're suffering isolation. They cannot do what they used to do. You know, their friends have broken down, their finances are broken down, their relationships have broken down, you know, and they want somebody just to care. And it's, we're not really built for caring, (laughs) unfortunately, in the way healthcare is delivered a lot now.
1: You know, as the episodes roll on with this show, many people talk about the things you mentioned, the cognitive behavioral therapy, the sleep, the hydration, the rest, the motion is lotion. I love that uh, saying, just that idea of fluidity and 10,000 steps. But I think one thing I want to highlight today, and it's what you mentioned about sometimes the physician is not able to stand in a place that you can stand in and I stand in. And you know we are available online. You can just Google RX professor, Google my name, wayinfluenster.com, and just listen to the videos or read the blog posts and get the confidence that, yes, as people with knowledge and authority and a presence online that they can use us and other people like us to get that woof, you know, to get that next step along the way. Because Mm -hmm. when you listen to somebody like us who really believes this stuff and see it, then that's often just what's needed, that little push over the hill, you know, just to do these activities and actually think, oh my gosh, this is actually possible for me. So I just, let's mention a few things about your resources right now so audience can touch base with that. Like how do we find
2: you on YouTube, for example, and LinkedIn? Yeah, well, like you said, my uh, moniker is the Rx Professor. So you can find me on YouTube as the Rx Professor, Mark Pugh. My primary blogging platform is LinkedIn, Mark Pugh. My Twitter handle is at Rx Professor. I don't do the gram, I'm too old for that and Facebook is more of a kind of a personal thing. And actually I'm more of a person that looks as opposed to post. So I'm not very good on that, but you can find me definitely on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Okay. Because you've got lots of insight into the CBD, let's give us a little bit of a summary of how this is actually helping our patients with chronic pain and how people can get the oils and the ointments and the medications regarding this.
2: Well, you know, medical marijuana is a really big term um, and it covers a whole bunch of different things. You know, in the United States, every state is different. And one of the things when I first started engaged in the issue back in 2014, that was the year that a lot of states passed medical cannabis programs. And it's interesting, whenever you read a medical cannabis program, the name of the act from the legislature, or the name of the actual program always has the word compassionate in the name. It's not coincidence by any stretch. But when we talk about medical marijuana, it's a big subject. Is it the whole plant? Is it just an extract of THC? Is it an extract of CBD? If it's an extract of CBD or cannabidiol, is it from hemp or is it the marijuana plant? What's the level of uh, THC in it? Is the CBD, does it have some portion of THC? what we call in a variety of states here in the the U.S., low THC, so it's 0.03 or less of THC with high concentrated CBD, or is it CBD that's pure that has no THC in it at all? So medical marijuana is all over the board, whether it's the plant of marijuana, the plant of hemp, different extracts, the whole plant, And certainly different delivery mechanisms. You know, is it smoking? Is it vaping? Is it edibles? Is it oils? Is it tinctures? Do you put it under your mouth? Do you swallow it as a capsule? Um, Do you put it as an ointment and rub it on your elbow when you have problems? You know, what's the frequency? You know, do you take it three times a day? Do you eat two brownies each day and, you know, that's good for you? Is it three capsules? Is it two toques? What's the dosing? What's the frequency? What do you give? Is it sativa or indica, you know, from a marijuana plant? Medical marijuana is kind of a universal term, but it's so varied and can be defined uniquely and differently. I think where the United States is right now gravitating, especially for new states that are adopting medical marijuana, is they're really focusing on CBD. There's probably at least as many states that only allow for low THC-CBD, so not the marijuana plant, not the full THC and potentially something that you can get high from, but the CBD that has medical benefits, again, back to the epidiolex that was approved by the FDA. So there's at least as many states that have that kind of CBD approach. And one of the values of that is CBD you cannot get high from, although you're not really sure what you're getting for CBD because the, hemp, the farm bill that was passed in December 2018 legalized hemp. In low THC, which meant everybody and his brother came out with CBD. And it's kind of like what happened out in the West with uh, the magic elixir that will solve everybody's problem. Now you got everybody and his brother selling CBD from nutritional supplements to gas stations to whatever. And they put stuff on their label, they say it can cause cancer, that it will solve cancer, that it will take care of your impotence, Um, it'll help you see better, it will grow hair back, Um, it'll handle chronic pain. And you look at the label and go i I have no idea if they have any backing of that is there science associated with it and then they stuff say on the label what's included you can't really trust that the fda did a study and i think it was 80 percent of the products that advertise cbd didn't even have cbd in it or not the level that they did so it's created a really wild wild west when it comes to that and so states like my home state of georgia um, has got a low THC, and it's very tightly regulated, it has to be less than 0.03 THC. And really what you want to do is find a provider, a manufacturer, that can absolutely guarantee that what they have on the label in regards to the benefits, what they have on the label in regards to ingredients, is it manufactured in a, in a clean environment? Do they do third-party quality testing to make sure that every pill, every Drop of oil is the exact same thing, you know, medical, DEA, prescription, big pharma kind of manufacturing process. So I think the population is getting a little bit smarter and realizing that not everybody that says CBD or marijuana is necessarily selling you the same thing that they're telling you about and finding those really high quality manufacturers and producers that can back up what they say it's going to be doing. So it's been a wild ride. You know, I say that marijuana has been normalized, and I use that for people who follow marijuana. You know, N O R M L have been trying to normalize marijuana f- um, since Cheech and Chong started making their movies, and they've actually made it. It is normalized now. You know, I've spoken probably about 150 times um, at this juncture around the country to different audiences. And historically, most of the people fall into the category when I ask them whether marijuana is medicinal, without clarifying the plant, CBD, whatever, just marijuana, the vast majority will raise their hand either that they are convinced it is, or they're not sure, but they could go either direction based on science. And when I follow up with those people that say they're absolutely convinced, usually it's because a personal story is because they know someone who has benefited from it for dealing with seizures. Uh, for dealing with the ravages of chemotherapy, for dealing with Parkinson's. My dad died from the complications of Parkinson's about five and a half years ago, and it's a really, really nasty disease. And so when I ran across this YouTube video of this ex-cop named Larry, that exhausted all FDA approved treatments and nothing worked for him to address his Parkinson's symptoms. But he went into this marijuana dispensary, took one drop of a CBD oil and they have an elapsed timer at the bottom over four minutes where his dyskinesia were completely gone. He can sit up, he can talk, his hands aren't shaking. You know, And it's amazing when you look at over four minutes for someone who could not use any drug that was approved by the FDA for treatment of Parkinson's that this one drop of CBD oil. Now is that scientific random controlled trial double blinded placebo? No. But is it powerful anecdote and would you tell Larry that he can't have that because it hasn't been backed up by, you know, science? That's a very difficult story to tell. And so I, I think it's always interesting when people are convinced that it's medicinal, it usually comes from personal stories and personal experience as opposed to reading what JAMA or Harvard View or PubMed, what they say about it. Thank you. That was a fast, furious, once-over <laughs>
1: review of all that subject.
2: You and know, my you previous know, employer, they used my name as a verb, so you've been pewed.
1: <laughs> I love, I love it's it. not <laughs> as bad
2: as it sounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a similar term in Scotland that we're not going to talk about on, <laughs> on, on air here. <laughs> it sounds very small. But Listen, audience, please check out what Mark is saying on his, on his blog post on on LinkedIn as well on his uh, YouTube videos, because he will have lots more to say. And I've uh, actually watched a few of your videos on these subjects and they're excellent. Lots of great information and resources, because he's got the heart behind the 20 years and the experience and he's, he's all over social media platform on these subjects. So,
2: Can I mention one more thing about marijuana that a lot of people don't understand and hasn't been taught in medical school, that every vertebrate and invertebrate on planet Earth has an endocannabinoid system. And we literally have CB1 and CB2 receptors in our brain and our gut and our spinal cord that actually, just like opioid receptors, the mu receptors that respond to OxyContin, we have CB1 and CB2 receptors built into our organism, this human body. And so a lot of medical doctors, when they understand, and it's really only uncovered in the late 1980s, so it's relatively new understanding, scientific understanding of the endocannabinoid system, But when you understand the endocannabinoid system, and I would recommend anybody who's watching this to Google endocannabinoid system and take a look at it, you'll be amazed and it will answer some of your questions as to how cannabis can positively interact and help with inflammation, help with neurological disease, help with IBS and autoimmune stuff um, and happen with chronic pain. So I just wanted to throw that in because a lot of people that talk about marijuana really don't understand how it works. And I think understanding the mechanism of the endocannabinoid system is it really was a game changer for me in helping kind of connect the dots and go, okay, that's why this particular chemical or set of chemicals potentially has a positive impact on the human body.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I finished med school in 1995 and there was no mention of that at that time back in Scotland and it wasn't even really discovered or just about to be discovered at that time. So, yeah, absolutely. A brand new system in the body, along with a few others that I've come to learn of over the years, like the microbiome and the gut, as well as the fascial system that's integral in the chronic pain, physical nature of our tightness and associated with, with pain as well. Mm-hmm. So listen, Mark, thank you. It's been a privilege to have you on here, to meet you virtually. And I do look forward to following up with you again, hopefully get you back on the show and other things that may be coming
2: down the pipeline as well. Great. I really appreciate the opportunity, Wayne. Great to meet you as well, virtually. We're practicing social distancing. So I appreciate that, but I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much. Bye for now.